Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, where are you going? We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And Jesus and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, "You, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who, for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to indignate at James and John, to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know those, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, Lord is over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and great crowds, Bartimus, Bartimus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover, recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marcellus. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, I'm grateful um, for your word um, that we get to come and um, learn about who you are and your character. And I pray today that um, all of our life would be invited into this place, that um, our worries and our fears, uh, our joys, our insecurities, that we would bring it all and that our lives would be molded and shaped by your word. And uh, God, I pray that your spirit would be in this place, that this wouldn't be a place 
um, for us to just take, but this would be a place where we can give, that we can give to each other and we can give worship to you. And so, Lord, by your grace, would you be here? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord and my God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus is, is really brilliant. Even as Marcellus is, um, is um, reading this passage, I'm taken by the masterful questions that Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? Um, it's actually recorded in the Gospels that Jesus asked 307 questions. So I don't know who you think is maybe um, culturally a good question asker, maybe like an Oprah or, um, you know, like a Dax Shepherd. They may be good, but like Jesus takes questions to a new place. Why are you afraid? Can worrying add any time to your life? Where is your faith? Do you love me? Why do you have evil in your heart? Why did you doubt? Who do you say that I am? You and I, we ask questions to gather information, right? But Jesus asks questions to trigger transformation in people. We ask questions to obtain answers, where Jesus asks questions to get at underlying motivations and assumptions and unpack preconceptions and beliefs. And if I, if I could so try and do the same thing today, that would be my goal. What is our desire, right? This is the question that I'll show you that Jesus is actually asking. So I really want to, my goal today is that I want to like pull out some of our desires, right? You don't have to say anything out loud, don't worry. Um, and then I want to take this text and use it like a microscope on our desires to do a little like evaluation of the deep longings that we have as people. And maybe you'll be articulating some of these things uh, in your mind at least um, for the first time. And then at the end, what I want to do is I want to talk about Jesus's desire in this passage, particularly his desire um, to give himself away um, and to head to Jerusalem. So that's going to be my um, big goal today. But before we do that, let me walk through the text a little bit because um, one, it's very long, but it looks like two separate stories, right? And it's really hinged on this question of desire. What do you want me to do for you? And so uh, James and John, uh, two of Jesus's closest followers, they come come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, we, we want you to do something for us now, right? And Jesus is really seems to be pretty kind. What do you want me to do for you? We want to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. We want to be sitting with you in glory, right? We want a title. We want the perks of being around you, right? Like everybody has a friend who taps into the perks of another friend's job, right? Um, when I was a, a, a barista at Blue Bottle, Boom, I was like making friends left and right. I was like, people love me, right? People want to come and hang out with me. No, they didn't. They wanted free coffee, all right? It didn't take me long, and I didn't care anyway. Just give it all away to them anyway. But this is why, if you didn't know this, uh, Elizabeth is in the back. Uh, she's our admin. She just recently got a job part-time um, at Blue Bottle. Um, so if you're looking for some, like, free coffee perks, <laughs> is, this a, is this a thumbs up? Is this a thumbs down? Okay, thumbs medium. Um, talk to her after. Can I have free coffee at Blue Bottle? Okay, yeah, that's right. I already do. Um, I, I find myself there a lot. James and John want the perks, right? They want the perks of being around Jesus. And, you know, if you just read this passage straight through, it, it's, um, maybe you missed it. Jesus is so kind. This is a moment where he could judge them. He could shame them. He could put them down. But he begins to ask them questions. What, what do you want? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. 
And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. He's saying, I'm going to my death. You're, you're actually going to be joining me. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom has been prepared. Right? They have no idea what they're really asking because they haven't been listening. Last week, we talked about um, the shift that's happening in the book of Mark. Jesus is no longer walking around Galilee uh, teaching and healing. He's actually like resolutely set on the cross. He's resolutely in uh, Mark chapter 10 heading to Jerusalem. And you're getting these little markers along the way. And I'll show you these. Um, it, almost every week that we're in Mark, um, we're seeing a, a, a furthering in, in literal distance. The Bible is actually telling us where he is going. But I want us to, to note, can you imagine the, the mental and the emotional weight? Jesus is a person, 100% man, 100% divine, and he's marching towards his death. And his disciples seem to be asking fairly trivial questions because they don't understand. And yet I sense that Jesus is still patient. I sense that Jesus is still willing to answer their questions, to take the time to discuss them. Even though it, the, the wording is pretty um, intense. What do you want me to do for you? And this is where you get to the other part of the story, the second half. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd. So I want to pause here. Um, Jericho is considered one of the uh, oldest cities in the world. I think I, I, think I put a picture in here. Uh, maybe? Yeah, there we go. Um, it's like the Palm Springs of Palestine. I don't know. It's kind of, it's, it's beautiful, right? Um, the reason this is important is that Jericho is 18 miles north and east of Jerusalem. So we're actually seeing Jesus move closer and closer um, to uh, Jerusalem. Also, Jericho is important because Jericho was probably also the location where Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so this would have been a place of remembrance for him. Maybe this was a weighty place. Maybe this was a place um, where he thought, I was so close to God the Father in that time of fasting. Or maybe he said, this is a time, uh, a tough time of temptation. Regardless, um, the emotional burden is, is there for um, Jesus. And uh, that little reference, and they came to Jericho. Jesus is moving closer and closer. And then what happens? A great crowd is coming. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, um, in the Greek, the word cry out is like, he's like screaming. And so he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Bartimaeus is using like, um, when he's saying son of David, he's, he's talking like this messianic title. He's, he's giving Jesus a title. He's saying, I know who you are. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that can come and save. You're the one that can come and fix my, my blindness. Would you have mercy on me? Will you see me? And I don't, I don't mean to be silly when I say this. If you look at verse 47, it's a really amazing feature. It says, and when he heard it was Jesus, he's blind. He, he hears Jesus. And he understands his condition. He's physically blind, but he has some sort of spiritual vision. Will you have mercy on me, Jesus? And we'll come back to verses 49 and 50. But Jesus says to him in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Same question he asks James and John. And the blind man says, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. So he answers really clearly, right? Like, this is what I want you 
um, to do. And in one sense, I'm like, Jesus, you don't, you're, you're a healer. You don't ask blind men what they want from you. Like, that's very obvious, right? But I think this is where Jesus really is this masterful question asker. And I think this verse, these, these two verses really get at the core of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. And I think it's purposeful that when Jesus invites people to follow him, he first wants to uncover their heart's deepest longing. He first wants to uncover their heart's deepest longing. What do you really want when you come to follow me? What are you really longing for? Um, in, in John's gospel, in, in, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is walking with two of his disciples, um, and they see Jesus passing by. And um, John tells his disciples, he says, look, behold the lamb who takes, takes away the sin of the world. Look, look, he's the one you've been waiting for. And Jesus asked the same question. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? A.K.A., what do you want? That's my translation down below. I think it's the same question. What do you want? People come to hear uh, about Jesus. People choose to follow Jesus then and, and now. People find Jesus so compelling. And I just wonder if we might reframe a little bit that if, if Jesus were walking in our midst, that he might ask us something different than we think he would. He might actually ask us, what do you want? I'm, I'm, prone, I'm, I'm like inclined to think, okay, well, you know what? Jesus is probably going to say, what do you believe, right? I'm inclined to think Jesus would say, like, do we align theologically? Do we hold similar stances on, on God and, you know, the origins of the, the earth and gender roles in the church and um, the end times or how the church should work as a whole? Like, I'm inclined to think that Jesus might get into some of the nitty-gritty of what we believe, right? Tell me what you believe, and then you can come follow me, right? And don't hear me wrong, what we believe is important. It, it frames how we, how we live and our ethics and, and all of these things, but it's just not what Jesus asks. Jesus asks, what do you want? Jesus doesn't say, what have you done? And this actually would be the, the more prominent question in this time. If you had a physical impairment like this in this time, like blindness, the question would be, what did you do to, to cause your blindness? What did your father do? What did your grandfather do to, to give you a physical impairment such as this? But he doesn't inquire about the reasoning behind the need. He doesn't say, tell me about your past. Let me examine your shortcomings. He also doesn't ask, what do you know? Let, let's see your resume. Let's see what you have been up to. Do you have the, the right qualifications to follow me? Because the reality is, for, for Jesus, we're more than our belief statements, right? To Jesus, we're more than just our um, brains. We're more than just our family tree. We're more than just our, our past. He's, he's not simply trying to impart information to us but he he sees us and honors us in a far greater light that he's actually open to asking what is it that you desire what what is it that you really want i've been pretty impacted by um, a christian philosopher his name is uh, james k smith and he says this jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect but he forms our very love we're going to talk about our desires in a second and what what i think jesus actually wants to do is he wants to shape the things that we love he isn't content to simply deposit new ideas in your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collected spaces of reflection and contemplation. He's a teacher who invades the heated and passionate regions of our hearts. And so he goes on to say, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves to his love. 
And actually, in, in one sense, this is kind of the purpose of why we gather as a church. We need this, the repetition of our loves being shaped. Because without the repetition of our loves being shaped, we're going to settle for lesser things to fulfill us in this world. And so what do you want? I just want to put this, like, right in front of you. Maybe you want to, like, pull out your phone and, like, write a note. Um, like, in a general sense, yes, what do you want? But, like, in a spiritual sense, also, yes, what do you want? I love when I meet someone and they have, like, a real clarity about what they want. Um, I had a friend um, came to the city to um, make it in acting, and I asked her, what do you want? She's like, easy. I want to be famous. And I was like, I love that. Like, I love the honesty and the vulnerability to just be able to say, this is what I want. Or I, I, I met someone recently, and they said, I want a family, right? I, I, want, I want someone to love. Like, I want, I want to be a mother. I want to be a father. And I think this is... Um, if I'm honest, I spent a lot of this week evaluating that for myself because one of the things I realized is I often, um, maybe going unchecked, it's like, I, I don't know, you know, like I'm, I'm doing fine. I, I don't, I haven't really thought about lately the things that I, I want or that I desire. Because if not, it's like, I want a weekend away in Miami without my children, you know, like that's, that's what I want, you know. But what do you want? Do you want deep relationships? Someone... Um, to love and to be loved by. Maybe you'd, maybe you'd say this morning, my desire is actually um, to share my life with someone in, with friendship or romantic relationship. Um, Post-pandemic, like, do we, maybe, maybe health is the thing that actually is um, desirous for you. You say, actually, this is like, I want to like, I want to like redeem the last couple of years. Um, in one sense, this is what Bartimaeus wants. He wants the, the, the physical aspects of his life to be healed. Maybe you'd say, I want peace. I want reprieve from the anxiety and the decision-making that come at me every single day. I just want to feel a sort of settledness in my soul. Maybe you'd say, um, like my friend, like I'm actually looking for a bit of success. I'm looking to make it in my field. And, and for some of us, um, that's actually the thing operating, but it would feel weird to say that out loud. And let me just say, let me just honor that in you. Like, that's the desire, and if Jesus came, he, he, he might ask you, what do you want, and wouldn't you want to articulate an, an honest answer to Jesus? That's what I want. What do you want? I don't know about you, but um, my desires have been shifting. Um, I've, I've thought about this a little bit. Um, um, I think my kids, in a lot of ways, have shaped um, who I want to be or the, the things that I actually desire in this life, and um, one of the things I was thinking a lot about this week for myself personally is that I want to set a better, better example for my kids. I want to be the type of person that they see um, and they say, my daddy does what he says. My daddy follows Jesus, and that actually makes him a better person. I want to follow Jesus. And I just think those are those moments where, and maybe, maybe for me personally, um, where there's just a little bit of growth, but it's an honest desiring that I have. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking about, I was like, I want an apartment. That's what I want, you know. Um, but what are the desires of your heart, and how are they actually shaping how you act in the day-to-day? -day? Because last week we talked about what story are you rooted in, and how is that shaping you. But now I think we, we're, we're zooming into our, our, our deep desires and our deep longings, and it looks a little bit different, right? So maybe I would say this before, before we move on, because I do want to examine those, but I don't want you... Um, I don't want to feel shame when we do this because I don't actually think um, that Jesus is asking us this so he can just change it right away. 
God put a desire and a longing inside of you. Those should be examined and evaluated. We're going to do that. But let me pause here. Maybe they need to be reordered but, reordered. but before we do that, is there something that you have deep inside of you that you say, yeah, I think God put that there. And like maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's success, fame, work, whatever it may be. But like, could you just pause for a second and just say, I think God gave me that. If, if that's what you really think. I think that's, that's there for a purpose, and it, it's something that stirs inside of me for a reason. And maybe at a gut level, you could just accept that about yourself, to be honest and to be vulnerable. And then what, what we do, now we put our desires under the microscope. Because I think um, in this passage, um, there are a couple features that happen um, that really shape what we should do with the things that we desire. And so in verse 49, Jesus stops um, and calls him, and they call the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And so they're calling him to Jesus. And then it says this, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, uh, in Jericho today, it's going to be 70 degrees. It gets to be upwards of like 105 degrees uh, in, in the summer in Jericho. And when it's 105 degrees, the thing you don't need is a cloak, all right? And so most scholars pretty much universally agree that what this man would actually do, his way of life, um, that's the passage, it's like he's blind, he's, he's begging for money. And so what he would do is he would take his coat and he would spread his coat on the ground. He would sit on the side of the road and he would ask people for money. And so that coat was, in verse 50, is really a, 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 sim, a, a symbol of what he's choosing to do with his life. He's saying, I'm putting off the thing that I used to trust to provide for me. I'm putting off the thing that I've looked to to keep me afloat, and I'm going to follow after this person, Jesus. I think when we think about our um, desires, we have to think about the past, how, we, how there are things in this world that we've relied on to get us to this point. And I wonder if there's a bit of a challenge here for us, which is what actually needs to be left behind in order for us, for, for God to refine our desires? What actually needs to be left behind so that we can choose to follow Jesus in a more holistic manner? And then the other part of it, which is really fascinating, when we come back to verse uh, 51, is you get the comparison again. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then look at what happens. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way right? So Jesus, what do you, uh, Jesus asks, what do you want? The blind man says, I want you to heal me. And then what does he do? He follows Jesus. Uh, James and John, what do you want? We want the perks, right? We want the benefits, right? And we do know that they end up following Jesus. But what is it about this story that really um, helps us understand um, vision? Mark 10 is about three blind people. That's what Mark 10 is actually about, and that's why I say these two stories that look separate are actually one story. This story is about three blind people, two spiritually blind men, James and John, and then juxtaposed to, that, to them is one physically blind person. On, on one hand, you have someone who is physically blind but has spiritual vision and deserves nothing, knows it, and chooses to follow Jesus. And then on the other hand, you have two entitled people who are saying, Jesus, what's in this for me? I will follow you, but what are the benefits? I think so often um, 
I don't know. I, maybe I'll just speak for myself. It's like, I, I, I want to know, like, if there's, like, a little something in the deal for me, too, right? I want to know if there's something in there for me. Uh, I was reading uh, St. Augustine this week. Uh, it's been a long time since I read his, um, his book, Confessions. Uh, but in Confessions, he's writing about his spiritual journey. And the thing I love about Confessions is um, how honest Augustine is. It's like, dude, don't say that stuff out loud. Like, he talks about how he left the, left the faith at, like, 14 um, and, like, left the faith of his mother. He says, I indulged in physical pleasure. I strove for fame and success. And then he said, I was a prisoner of my own desires. And this is what he says. I was hankering after honors, wealth, and marriage. But you were laughing at me. Very bitter were the frustrations I endured in chasing my desires, but all the greater was your kindness in being less and less prepared to let anything other than yourself go through to me. Let me just read that second part again because this is so good. All the greater was your kindness in being less and less prepared to let anything other than yourself go through to me. What if God, what if, I just propose this, what if God loves us so much that career success and marriage and family and all these things that are actually really good, all fine things, what if, what if God loves us so much that those things end up feeling a little bit empty so that he looks through to us? What if those things actually just feel like the deepest desire and longing for our hearts, but they're actually only pointing to the thing that actually does give us the deepest fulfillment and the deepest love, right? So that we know that, you know what, those are pictures of what real and true and lasting love look like, but they're still limited. And maybe what that would mean is that for some of us, we just need to be called out a little bit on our mixed motivation, right? Even if our desires are good to rest and to have peace and um, to, to travel, but to just to be able to ask, am I a little bit mixed? Do I really want to follow Jesus or do I, I, do I have that perception? Because I think a lot of us, what we do is we compartmentalize. We say, you know what, I am, I, I am following Jesus. That's like, I feel like that's the highest calling on my life. And so Jesus, like protect my family and give me good things and I love you. And we're like, but over here are these things that you're like, you can't have these things, Jesus. Like you're not touching my finances. We're not, like, we're not talking about that. That's mine, right? Like the, the political thing that I got going on, like, that's mine, Jesus, it's not, not yours. Um, one commentator I was reading this week said this, Bartimaeus, sensing this hidden dimension in Jesus' parting words, uses the freedom that Jesus has given him to choose a life of discipleship that, with his restored vision, he perceives to be the logical consequences of saving faith that has liberated him from darkness. Meaning what? Bartimaeus wants to see so that Bartimaeus can follow Jesus, right? It's not, it's not the other way around. It's not, I, I, I want to be healed so I can go back and do my own thing, but it's actually I want to heal so that I can continue to follow you. And I think this is w what it means to follow Jesus. It, it means I forego my way of, of seeing things. I forego my way of viewing um, life in the world, and I choose your vision for that. But there's one more thing, and, and we would be remiss if we didn't look at this quickly. What about Jesus? Like, the Bible is about Jesus, so what is, what is Jesus' desire? And it says it um, in verse 43. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus doesn't just say, here, let me shape your desire. Let me tell you what to do and move on. But uh, he's modeling it. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you 
what ultimately my desire is and how it can shape your desire. And maybe we would not hear this just personally for a minute, but maybe we would hear it as a church community for a second. Like, isn't, wouldn't that be the, a beautiful desire for us to have as a church? That we're not just here to uh, serve one another in this sense, but actually we, we think more externally. We think about the community at large. We think about the role that we have in loving our city. We always say that reunion is a community following Jesus, meaning we're shaped and molded by what Jesus says to do, and we're seeking the good of our city. And so this would be the challenge, I think, for us today. And um, some exciting things that I can um, communicate as I wrap up here. Um, in the fall, uh, we did an all-church survey. And one of the questions on there was, what are some of the needs of the community that are, are speaking to you? And I was so grateful that um, so many of you had filled that out. And we got a real sense of the work that matters to us as a church and the things that we want to commit to. And in a sustainable manner, we don't want to have... 15 partner organizations where we do a little bit, but how can we go deeper? And one of the things I think that's important at this stage in the life of our church is how do we really clarify and give vision to how we want to commit to justice and mercy, um, relief and reform in our community? And, you know, when we started the church, I was always hoping our, you know, everyone would live like within a block from right here, you know, and that we'd get coffee and um, Elizabeth would work at the coffee shop right here and give us all free coffee and um, but one of the things that's been really cool in the life of our church is that um, we're primarily all over Manhattan. We have some um, people, some of you coming from Brooklyn and, and some from Queens. And what I think what we need to do now is we need to say we need to adjust and clarify how we serve our city. Because one of the things we said is that we want to serve at the Father's heart, which I still wholeheartedly believe is a really good thing for us. But it's at a really coveted time, Saturday morning, and it's in uh, a specific neighborhood. And so we need to decentralize some of the ways that um, we're serving. And so um, here's our pathway for doing this. It's going to take a few months to kind of figure out what are our um, neighborhood hubs? How are we serving not just once a week, but um, during the week? Not just specifically on one day, but um, in different areas of the city. And we can all be a part of, of giving of our time and our resources in that way. And so um, we're coming alongside, um, actually I should say, um, we're learning from Hope for New York, um, which is a branch from um, Redeemer here in the city. And um, their first initiative, this is actually their first initiative right here. And we want to come alongside them. This is a one-day service opportunity. This is a really good, I'm going to say it's like a jump start for, for us to partner with Hope for New York and to figure out um, how to learn from them and grow alongside them. This is a citywide initiative, Don't Walk By, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit um, about. Has anybody done Don't Walk By? Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to be talking more about this in, uh, over the next four weeks. But if you want to mark your calendar, um, February 18th from 1030 um, to 5. And Don't Walk By is um, a day of service and care for those experiencing homelessness in our city. Um, it's cold outside. All right. It is cold outside. And there are individuals um, on the streets in our city. And at the very minimum, our eyes need to be open um, to our homeless brothers and sisters. And so on this day... They're going to be street teams walking neighborhoods from, um, they've decided one location this year from Battery Park all the way up to 46th Street. And they're going to be, uh, we are going to be inviting people back to a host site where there's going to be um, a hot meal for them, clothing, clothing um, basic medical care, and then connection to ongoing support. Um, the host site is Overseas uh, Chinese Mission. It's like Canal and Bowery. Um, like I said, there's 30 plus churches in the city that are doing this. We're going to keep talking about this. 
Um, but I want to encourage you to give of your, your time that day. I, it's a long day. It's um, 1030 to uh, 5, six and a half hours. Um, when you go to sign up, you go on our website um, through the link. Um, click Don't Walk By. You're going to be sent to the Rescue Alliance. The Rescue Alliance is the one who organizes all this. And then they have an event bright. And then once you go to register, there are different roles you can look at there. Uh, but there's a drop down for churches. You can put uh, our church. We've uh, set with Hope for New York um, um, uh, a number of how many people we want to serve. It's 15 people um, to come in and serve that day. And I think what it's going to be for me is uh, my prayer for us for that day is going to be that we as a people would have our eyes open, right? That it would just be a way of shaping our desires, the things that we want, that that act of giving our time in that way would actually be a way of shaping our desires, all right? So let's do that together. We're going to be hearing more about that. I know it's a little bit uh, away, but I want to put that in front of you. Um, and let's pray before we go into communion this evening. So, Father, I love you, and um, so uh, grateful for this passage. Um, the Bible is so crazy sometimes. It's... Uh, it's a book that I feel like I'm reading and dissecting when actually it's looking deep into my heart and motivations and longings. And so I just thank you for this passage um, this morning. I pray that we would be people that leave here and think about it. I pray that we would be people um, who submit in obedience to the life that you call us to, a life of sacrifice, a life of, um, of care for others, uh, a life uh, where we give ourselves away. And I pray that that would continually be uh, our heartbeat. Um, Father, now as we come to the table, I pray, God, that um, you would meet us here by your grace, that it would be this tangible reminder um, that you are God who, who gives. We give your life, and um, we're grateful, God, as we come to the table today. And we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.